0: Welcome to the Becker's Healthcare Women's Leadership Podcast. I'm Molly Gamble with Becker's Healthcare, and today it's my pleasure to connect with Debbie Fisher, COO of Navcare. Debbie has more than 30 years of experience in healthcare and has spent more than 15 years holding senior level management positions in the fields of home health and chronic care management. Prior to joining Navcare, Debbie was the Director of Care Management for the Center for Primary Care in Augusta, Georgia. Before that, Debbie served as the Vice President of Clinical Services for CareSouth and Vice President of Operations for a Home Health and Hospice Agency in Northern Virginia. Debbie, thank you very much for being with me today.
1: Thank you, Molly, for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: Great. So, you know, Debbie, before we dive into our conversation, for listeners who aren't familiar or as familiar with Navcare, I thought we could start with more of an overview about your company's mission and work. Can you tell us more about it?
1: Sure. Back in 2015, uh, Medicare came out with some um, CPT codes that allowed providers to bill for chronic care management. I think as CMS was really looking at how do we manage these um, chronic care elderly patients, um, they came out with these codes which really allowed that primary care provider to reach out and touch those patients in between visits. And where Navcare birthed out of that was we used to be a home care company. Um, We transitioned over time into this chronic care management company or post-acute care company. And we help support those providers out there by reaching out to those seniors, especially in between those office visits. Because oftentimes, if you think about um, those senior patients or the senior population, a lot of times they may go to the doctor every three months, six months, or nine months, but there's a lot of things that happen in between those visits. And we help support those um, providers by reaching out, contacting those patients, ensuring that they're following their plan of care and maintaining health, their health and
0: wellness wonderful yeah it's, it's helpful to understand the transition there and how you mentioned it went from home care to post-acute care and care management so we're going to talk more about that in a bit but i first just wanted to start off by just asking how you're doing um how you are it's been as you know um it's been quite an interesting several months here and especially an interesting past month um how are, how is work going for you is there anything um was, what's work been like for you over the past month or so
1: Well, surprisingly for us, this has been probably our busiest season ever. Um, I think with the pandemic and really providers pushing patients to stay at home, I think there was a awakening of opportunities um, to really connect with those patients and as providers really didn't have the bandwidth, they sought um, companies like NavCare to, to come in and provide assistance. So it has been extremely busy, but we are happy to be able to provide this type of service and to really be able to support our providers out there and most importantly, take care of these patients who are now sheltered in place, but they still are dealing with chronic conditions. They still have their diabetes and their heart failure. So they still need the care and services. We just need to do it in a different delivery model.
0: Absolutely you know, you mentioned with people being at home and um, either delaying their care or canceling uh, upcoming appointments. I'm curious about how this pandemic has challenged any assumptions the industry previously held about chronic care management. So much of you know our assumptions that we kind of just worked on for various sectors of the industry have been challenged. I'm curious what you've seen and how anything that four or five months ago was kind of the status quo of how people saw chronic care management and its role in healthcare, and if those assumptions have been defied in any way.
1: Yeah, good good question. I think um, as chronic care management has evolved since its inception in 2015, there's been a great deal of change. I think initially, the idea that CMS had with chronic care management in 2015, I think some providers felt like, yeah, I'm finally getting paid for the things that I've been doing. I think as we've evolved over the last couple of years, it's been, yeah, this makes sense to reach out to patients. But I think now with this pandemic, it has really spotlighted the need to have some kind of care management, some kind of support to reach out and contact these patients. In between those visits. And like I said before, those patients are now being sheltered at home, but they're still dealing with their chronic conditions. Um, they're still having to manage on a day by day basis. And now I think providers are realizing, as well as really all of us, not just providers, but all of us are realizing how do we take care of these patients? No longer is the, you know, the bring them into the doctor's office, bring them into this four walls our care delivery model has changed. We can't bring everybody into the four walls of an office building for a variety of reasons. We don't want to expose them. Many of them don't want to come in. So we're finding ourselves trying to figure out how do I reach out to these patients? How do I manage and take care of these patients? So I think the old thoughts of, yeah, chronic care management is a a nice to have. Now I, I really feel like a lot of providers, whether they're specialty providers or primary care providers, are saying this is a necessity. Um, I think we're seeing that transit transaction or that um, transformation from nice to necessity. And even as as we think about revenue um, from a standpoint of a provider, a lot of providers now are really starting to feel the effects of not having that that revenue because they're not seeing patients in the office. And so they're looking at more. Um, chronic care management. And another service that we provide is the telehealth as well as the remote patient monitoring. So those things coupled together with that case management is really changing how we provide care to these patients.
0: And I'm curious, because I I would imagine that if you were an organization that before this pandemic had seen chronic care management as a nice to have, as you put it, um, when those organizations now see it as a necessity and begin to get those strategies stronger and firmer and make some more investments in chronic care or get some different initiatives off the ground. What are some challenges or perhaps um, pain points that they might run into in that those early months of those efforts? Have you noticed any commonalities between organizations when they first are starting to really level up their chronic care management programs? I think
1: what we've seen probably um, quite often is um, capacity. And resources. I think a lot of providers are challenged with having the resources and the bandwidth capacity wise to be able to provide those services. Um, You know, it's not like you can turn it on today from what you had before. You know, when we think about a typical office, a provider's office, those staff are used to dealing with patients that they're seeing face-to-face, and now you're asking them to see patients telephonically. There's a lot of processes and workflows that have to change um, that sometimes they have the, the capacity to do that, sometimes that's, they don't. I think, um, I think what we see in terms of challenges is from a resource and bandwidth capacity, many of our providers just don't have the staff and the capacity to manage the volume and the amount of patients that they need to serve. Um, And that's where, again, we have an opportunity. I think the other piece of it is, even though I may telephonically provide care to this patient, I don't have data. And by data, I mean, since I'm not seeing the patient come into the office, I don't have vital signs. Um, I don't know what the patient looks like. I don't know how they're walking. I can't see those pieces of the wound or whatever um, clinical um, areas that they need to assess. So it's been some challenges, I think, on on that piece of it as well. Like I mentioned before, one of the things we've been able to support our providers in is providing that remote patient monitoring. So not only the chronic care piece of it where we're calling and reaching out, but we now have the technology to provide to the patients so that we can get those vitals and provide that to that um, provider. So now they're able to pair those two together. And I think as chronic care management, remote patient uh, monitoring continues to kind of explode on the scenes, I think we're better positioning those providers to really manage those patients. I would say just one other um, component in terms of what we see is that I almost feel like the industry is a little bit behind, as I mentioned before, nice to versus a necessity. I think when we were in that nice to mode, I think there was some thoughts, yeah, we'll do some telemedicine. With the um, inundation of this pandemic and the magnitude of the pandemic, I I feel like providers are behind the eight ball trying to figure out how do we do this? How do I get a telehealth system up and running in such a short amount of time? Because we went kind of from, it was day and night that transition. it wasn't a gradual it w- it literally felt like one day we were doing this and the next day we we're in a pandemic um, mm-hmm. so i think that that's been some challenges just the timing of it
0: mm-hmm. yeah No, you're so right i mean the rollout or um getting things started and kind of experiencing some snags or some problems and having a hot wash and learning from them, improving upon them, um, all of that has been just condensed to such this small window of time. So to hear that systems often struggle with or some of the pain points they first encounter are related to capacity, their processes, workflow, also that access to data and vitals like you mentioned, um, that's really helpful to to understand. We've also been living through two pandemics, and as a black healthcare leader with a background in nursing and population health management i imagine this past month of national reckoning over racism and racial inequities has really resonated in several ways for you can you tell me more about what you've seen and experienced at that intersection of race and and your work
1: it's been a challenge it's been really disheartening and difficult, I would say, to even process at times. I think throughout my whole career, I've seen um, the inequalities and the injustices um, as it relates to um, different segments of our population, our African-American population, having access um, to care, having access um, and appropriate care. I think that that's always been a challenge. Now it just even brings it that much more to the forefront. I think I've always known it. Um, I've definitely have seen it um, from past experiences. Um, and like I said, it just becomes so disheartening. Um, and for me, you know, as a leader, and how do I make sure that I am serving all of our population um, and providing that, and how am I being an example, is where, really where I have to put my energy and efforts. I can't solve all the problems, but certainly I can have a, a voice and a piece in, in that. And how do I make sure that each day that I am in that leadership position, I'm taking the opportunities to educate, um, to open up other folks' eyes, and help them to see where the inequalities lie, and help us to work together on a plan to make changes. And that's the best for me that I feel like I can do is is making sure that. I share the voice that I can share um, in the right areas and, and um, opportunities that I get to share that voice.
0: Yeah, no, I think feelings of dis- disheartenment and the difficulty of it, and also just channeling those feelings toward the work you do and being in a position of power as you are um, and, and trying to use your influence for the greater good, um, you know, good for you. and. I'm curious too, just as COO, can you tell me more about the team you lead and how that team and or your leadership style over the past several weeks have changed or evolved, adapted? Is there anything you and your team are doing differently or have started and stopped over the past several weeks?
1: Um, I would say the team that I manage is a very diverse team in terms of not only ethnicity, but also in terms of skill set and levels. I have vice presidents reporting to me and I have medical assistants reporting to me. So I have a whole gamut, a wide spectrum of folks that report to me. But I think for me in terms of leadership and what I've changed, I don't really think that I've changed who I am or the leadership style. I think one of the things that i continue to impress upon people is we have an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of people that we care for every day let's take advantage of that opportunity let their experience with us be the best experience ever how can we look at helping them to manage um, their care in a way that that suits and fits them so i don't think that i've changed i think that i have probably more so encouraged our, our staff to look beyond what a condition is, but look at the person um, and making sure that we are providing the best services and care possible. And I think for me um, as a leader, really it's an opportunity to influence um, influence the, the folks that I have uh, underneath me, that I have surrounded, surrounding me. I can't say that I've change that influence. I've just really focused on how can I make sure that what I'm doing is fair and equitable, that I look at each situation and again, as I said before, take advantage of the opportunities to help others open their eyes to what we're experiencing as African Americans um, and what others in the world are experiencing and, and how can we leverage our voice to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to thrive in this
0: world. Mm-hmm. And how does your team react when you mentioned that you encourage them to not just look at you know, someone by their condition, but as a person, um, how, how, what was their reaction to that and how they responded?
1: I think sometimes as clinicians, we get so caught up in that identifying people by their condition, well, that's a diabetic patient, well, that's a heart failure patient. And it's like, but at the end of the day, that is a person who happens to have diabetes, but there's still a person just like, you know, any of us. Um, and that can happen to any of us. And so I think it has opened their eyes to stop and step back and reassess. Do I make judgment calls because of a condition that a person has? Let me stop and think about that. And that's where, again, that opportunity to coach them, that opportunity to influence them and let them know, you know, sometimes we, we have, preconceived notions about a diabetic person or about a person with this condition. When we begin to label people, then we begin to put those preconceived notions out there. Step back away from that and think about this person has this condition, but it's still this person. This is the Debbies of the world, the Susies of the world, the Mollys of the world. They just need help in managing that condition. So it really has helped them to kind of go, whoa, wait a minute, you're right. I probably had some preconceived notions let me stop and and listen and take care of that patient to the best of my ability
0: such an important conversation to be had in organizations like ours and and many others just and i think the past several weeks have been a reminder of how dangerous assumptions and preconceived notions and implicit biases can be so it's just great to hear that you're having those open candid conversations with your team
1: yeah with my team and also not even not only with my team, but also with our leadership team, as well. Um, you know, we have a predominantly male leadership organization, so being able to be at the seat and being able to voice those concerns and those opinions really helps to get the message out. And I think it helps others to recognize some maybe disparities that they hadn't recognized. And even uh, for, for them to say, wow, you experienced that? Yes, I do. Even at this level, I experienced that. So I think it's been eye opening for our organization um, and also the, for our caregivers as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And Debbie, you know, I imagine some listeners might be in a similar position where whether it's their board or their leadership team, if it's predominantly one demographic, so whether that's male, um, whether that is white, what have you. And I can see some concern or some hesitation, perhaps, if you were to bring some things to their attention of, well, I'm not sure, am I saying this the right way? Is this the right time? How do I present this message to the team? Um, You've, it sounds like from what you just said, have proceeded and shared a a lot of feedback and encouragement to to broaden their lens um, in different forms of decision-making. Would you have any advice to someone who is facing a similar situation as you And perhaps has some qualms or uh, reluctance to do the same?
1: I think all of us have some biases that we may have experienced or continue to experience. I think the key is really having a solid relationship um, with your leadership team, whether that's your board or whether that's your direct supervisor, and really having those open conversations Being willing to take the risk to have those open conversations. I think that's the only way we move forward. When we hide behind the fear of, am I going to get rejected? Am I going to get fired? Is there going to be repercussions? I think when we hide behind those, then we don't move forward. I think you have to be willing to use your voice because you're in that seat for a reason. You're representing more than just you. And you have to take on that responsibility. Be willing to step out. For me, it's stepping out on faith, but stepping out and saying, you know what, I'm going to have that conversation because I want others to understand. And I think it is how you deliver it, not necessarily um, sometimes the message, but I think it is how the messenger gives that message. As long as you're open and you're willing to um, give it in such a way that the audience receives it, I think that makes a huge difference. I think when you come across angry or or um, aggressive then your audience may not receive that. Um, so I think it's how you deliver that message. But I think as leaders, we have to step up and deliver those messages. Otherwise, we we don't take advantage of the opportunities that we have. And others who don't have a voice are looking on us to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, you hit on something early on in your comments where it's not so much, it's not going to be about word choice. It's not so much a matter of timing. I mean, all those things are things to consider, of course, but when you said it comes down to your relationship, um, you know, that's just all the more reason to make sure that you're strengthening your relationships. You have strong working relationships. So when the time comes where those conversations do need to be had, they can occur in a safe space. You can be honest. You don't have to have fears, like you said, of repercussions. Um, a, a really powerful message there, and, and you know, leaders. If you are in a position of influence or power, you are responsible for bringing that ball forward and bringing that up, like you said. But I think just understanding that even before this, it comes down to building relationships. Um, so when that time comes, you don't have to have some of that head noise that might otherwise occur.
1: Absolutely, I totally agree with that. You know, and those relationships again, building on those each and every day. And again, we're in these seats as leaders, um, as women, as leaders, to make a difference. Um, And each day that we have that opportunity, we need to step up and do that.
0: Well, Debbie, I so enjoy connecting with you today. And, you know, you mentioned you're using your voice. And it sounds as though you at NAVCARE are using your voice uh, internally. It sounds like NAVCARE also just is doing an excellent job thinking about chronic care management, which has really taken on renewed importance in our industry, as you said, uh, over the past several months during this pandemic. So thank you very much for sharing so much of your expertise with us today here at Becker's and in your wisdom and for being my guest today.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate again the opportunity to come on and thank you for what you do as well. Um, It's a great, it's a great um, podcast to know that we as women get to listen to this and hear each other's stories. And that just empowers us and encourages us even more. So thank you for what you do.